0: Hello and welcome to our third episode of Global Tech Swamp. We have our hosts and EU team here today. Hi Anna. Hello. Hi Morgan. Hi Alex. Hi. And of course this is Alex. Um okay, so last month a major ruling from the European Court of Justice hit the headlines. It's the decision to strike down the EU-US Privacy Shield. This is the agreement that allows for lawful transfer of data across the Atlantic. It has a major impact on our members and SMEs in general. We'll be joined by our Senior Global Policy Counsel, Brian Scarpelli, to give us some background about the Privacy Shield and the impacts of this ruling on our members. We will also be joined by James Hansen of Layer Studio for our member spotlight, who will tell us about his business, Brexit, and running a company during COVID-19. But first, EU Explained and the latest headlines in Brussels.
1: Instead of tech history, we're using the EU recess period to shed some light on the institutions and the way they make and enforce EU tech policy. And related to today's discussion on the privacy shield, we decided to explain um, how data protection law is enforced in the EU. And it's not always easy to navigate through different institutions, um, and we try our best to simplify it. There are different layers with uh, three main institutions that you need to remember. First of all, on the member state level, there are the National Data Protection Authorities, DPAs. They are responsible for protecting personal data in accordance with the law, the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, and assessing non-compliance. The second level, which is the EU level, um, we had the European Data Protection Board. This is an independent body specifically created by the GDPR in 2018 to oversee the correct and consistent application of data protection rules in different EU countries, as well as in Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway. The EDPB is also responsible for promoting cooperation amongst the different national data protection authorities. The EDPB is not to be confused with the EDPS, (laughs) And the S stands for Supervisor, the European Data Protection Supervisor. And this is the agency uh, that was established before, in 2004, to ensure that EU institutions and bodies respect um, themselves the right to privacy when they process personal data of EU citizens. The EDPS advises the um, EU institutions, especially when they craft legislation such as the GDPR or international agreements such as the Privacy Shield. And maybe a fourth one, um, which is not in charge of enforcing per se, but can make changes and adapt uh, law uh, when needed. And that's the European Commission. And if you want to know more about these institutions, you can follow the links in our show notes. And that is all for EU Explained.
0: And now it's time for Brussels Bites. Anna and Morgan, what are the
2: headlines? in competition news the european commission announced it will carry out a full-scale probe into google's takeover of the wearable firm fitbit this announcement comes after the commission raised concerns last year that the proposed acquisition would lead to a consolidation of google's market position in the online advertising markets and thereby increase the amount of data that google could use for its personalized ads google however insists that this deal is about devices not data this is now the fourth comp Uh, competition case google is facing in the eu and it comes at a time where it also is facing increased antitrust scrutiny in the us over its dominance in online advertising the eu investigation should be completed by the end of the year and we'll keep
1: track of that and also uh, still in the antitrust domain the messaging app telegram just launched a formal antitrust complaint to the eu against apple's app store and this follows a series of other complaints by other large app developers, such as Spotify and Rakuten, over the alleged monopolistic power of the app store and its strict terms and conditions for developers that we covered in previous episodes. In this case, Telegram also seemed to seek the option for users to download um, software outside of the app store. The outcome of these complaints and ongoing investigations are extremely uh, important for app developers as there's a risk that if exceptions are made for larger players with more bargaining power, it could distort competition. And in this process, it will be very important to ensure that every app maker is treated in the same way, no matter their size. So this is something we'll follow very closely. And after more than two years of negotiations and amid a global pandemic, EU leaders have agreed last month to, on a historic Budget plan for the next seven years. They have agreed to jointly borrow on the uh, financial markets to pull the economy out of recession caused by the virus outbreak. This definitely did not go without challenges uh, because it was one of the longest summits in history. But the result um, is seen as the biggest ever effort to cross uh, of cross-border solidarity, sending a very strong signal for of. Interna- um, international, internal cohesion. <laughs> and um, in this budget, 6.8 billion euros will go to fund high performance computing, artificial intelligence, and cybersecurity, which is a huge boost from the 183 million allocated um, to digital under the previous budget. How all of this will be implemented and benefit local economies still needs to be decided at national level, but uh, first of all, the deal needs to be approved by the European Parliament.
2: And if you missed some news and want to catch up on the digital and tech policy developments in the EU over the first half of 2020, you can read our assessment on the blog. We'll include the link in the show notes. And that's all for Brussels Bites.
0: On the 16th of July, in a landmark decision, the European Court of Justice, EJC, struck down the EU-US Privacy Shield. Privacy Shield was a streamlined, widely used program for American companies to efficiently and legally transfer user data from the EU. Brian, can you give us a bit of background on this? Um, Maybe like where this all started and, and that sort of thing.
3: Sure, absolutely. So this this goes all the way back to the late '90s, nineteen ninety eight, which is uh, the year ACT was fo- was founded, as it as it turns out.
0: Yeah, fun fact. When
3: <laughs> <laughs> when the European Commission effectively prohibited the transfer of personal data outside of the EU to countries that failed to meet adequate privacy protections that were, you know, at along the same level as as the European Commission itself. So then, in recognition of the Great value that transatlantic data flows have to both U.S. and EU businesses and, and consumers in both in both areas. The two, the European Union and the U.S. government, came up with a safe harbor agreement, as they called it, and uh, this framework gave companies the ability to to publicly attest to meeting the requirements of the safe harbor, harbor. Uh, and and in providing adequate. In quotes, privacy protections, so that they could legally collect and use data originating in the EU and store this data in the United States. So, in uh, back and moving forward in time, you know that it went on for for a while, but by twenty fifteen, the European Court of Justice, in a decision, found that the that the U.S. government's approach to privacy was not adequate and did not meet the standards required by the European Commission. So this led to the collapse of the safe harbor and it left a lot of, of companies, thousands of companies, including act members, uncertain about whether or not they were in compliance with EU law and whether they might face some liability. So then after that, the U.S. and the EU took another run at it and they found a new construct Called the which they called the Privacy Shield, which went into effect in August of 2016. Similar construct, you can again publicly attest to uh, to um, to meeting uh, to, to being adequate in, in protecting privacy protections. And then with that attestation, there comes some as a U.S. company there 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 are some uh, some over, there's some oversight that you would have to be under, namely the Federal Trade Commission would hold you to account if you make that attestation about providing adequate privacy protections and you're not actually providing them. And you can see some examples of the FTC cracking down on those companies.
2: Uh, okay, so this has been going on for a while. Um, now, what happened to the Privacy Shield and why is this important for our members?
3: Well, we're doing something of a redux here because the Privacy Shield, this construct, has again been invalidated. So. The, the, the shield consisted of a set of seven principles that permitted U.S. companies to sell that they would self-certify to, um, and that would be their compliance with EU data protection rules. Uh, the same activist who sued in in Europe to invalidate the safe harbor agreement, an Austrian fellow named Max Schrems. Uh, again sued <laughs> This time to invalidate the privacy shield alleging that the, uh, the Several means of compliance with the privacy shield uh, namely the the uh, the ability to use standard contractual clauses uh, as well as as the uh, as the shield uh, Mechanism where where the public attestation is made um, are not adequate for EU standards. So this judgment was highly anticipated um, was released in July 2020 and the European Court of Justice did um, uphold the validity of standard contractual clauses but it struck down the privacy shield compliance mechanism mm. it, the court cited concerns with US surveillance law essentially and interpreted the current situation as unacceptable or in other words incompatible with with uh, European data subjects rights under the under the General Data Protection Regulation, or the GDPR, this is important to our members, though, because uh, you know it, it, the 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 ability to attest and enjoy the, the protection of the Privacy Shield was um, was was the the most streamlined and easiest way of of for those who are either doing business or planning to do business in the EU, um, as far as complying with EU data protection laws um standard contractual clauses um not as easy to implement the so you you know through that attestation and using the shield an app association member company could avoid a whole bunch of complex and expensive contract negotiations so which are required by the standard contractual clause compliance means uh in dealing with potential eu business partners partners and uh, it was also a way to make a public statement and stand up and, and, and uh, be able to declare that your, your company is uh, has a strong commitment to both data security and privacy. So uh, to, not to put too fine a point on it, but when you look at the thousands and thousands of companies who were part of the privacy shield before it was invalidated, over 70%, Were small businesses so and and there were there were a great many app association members who who were part of the shield so um it it, it's also got you know so it has it has an immense impact on any members who are either doing business in the eu or thinking about doing business in the eu
1: so does that mean that the eu us data transfers will stop completely
3: Fortunately, no. I guess I can say that there is a fortunately here. Uh, No, it does not, but it creates a great deal of uncertainty. So many of the companies that were part of the shield are now at risk for having their data flows interrupted or or being subject to um, regulatory enforcement by data protection authorities in the EU uh in that they may may be violating the GDPR they no longer can enjoy that that umbrella of protection that the the privacy shield offered them there are still the standard contractual clauses that one can use uh however in my view they're not really providing an immediate alternative um they don't and, and again there's that expense and time associated with them um, and they're, they're so they're not really a replacement for the for the tool that the Privacy Shield offered, you know, that, that, for the utility that the Privacy Shield offered. Um, if 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 a company is going to going to switch and use the standard contractual clause means for for um, compliance, um, they're going to have to prove to EU privacy regulators. That their customer data is not subject to U.S. surveillance law, and that is going to be a difficult thing to prove. Uh, during this time, it's it's essential, basically, that you know, as we look to okay, what now, right? It's essential that the data transfers that we have going on be allowed to continue uh, while a new construct is is being created, and. Uh, and so we've we publicly the App Association has publicly supported that idea that we don't want to just uh, close off all data flows now until some new construct is put into place. We've got to find some way to transition to a new framework. And uh, fortunately, just the other day, in a joint statement, the U.S. Department of Commerce and, and the European Commission have uh, have announced that they're still gonna um, that, that they're going to undertake. New negotiations Um, the uh, the US government has said that it will still administer the privacy shield and will uh, hold those who are part of it to uh, to their obligations when they make that public attestation Um, but we still have this uh, this general uncertainty don't we
0: yeah absolutely
2: yeah um so do you think there will be another safe harbor part two privacy shield part two or third time the charm what should our (laughs) members expect
3: well the commitment that the u.s government and the european union made jointly just the other day indicates that they do want to pursue some kind of a new a new construct that will enable uh that will enable uh, data flows across the Atlantic. That's a positive thing, you know, it's very easy to say that, of course, but uh, another thing to to do it and come up with it. And indeed, whatever they come up with will probably face legal challenge in the future, just like the first two tries have. Uh, but, uh, but the two continents will definitely have to come up with something. <laughs> the data flows that 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 uh, that go across the Atlantic Ocean are worth many billions of dollars and there's uh, there is a huge uh, There is I think support for for a construct from uh, from almost everyone on both sides of the Atlantic. So uh, uh, You know it, it, we're gonna need to we're gonna need to continue to monitor continue to make our voice heard that's going to be very important I think for the for the app association is is um, you know is, is is as as the as the U.S. government and the European Commission attempt to navigate the decision from the European Court of Justice in coming up with a new construct, especially a construct that is largely intended to benefit app association members, small businesses in the digital economy who are innovators and leaders, and who who need some kind of streamlined. Um, uh, you know, mechanism for 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 compliance with complex complex and and and, uh, and serious legal requirements on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they're going to need to hear from us and, and we're gonna to need to hear from from our members.
0: Absolutely, and we'll definitely have the opportunity to talk more about this as this is really just the beginning. Um, so thank you for your input here, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you about this again soon.
3: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
1: For our member spotlight this month, we have with us James Hansen from Layer Studio. Hi, James. Hi, hey, thank Thank you so much for, uh, for joining. It's, uh, it's great to be able to catch up with uh, our members and hear directly uh, what they've been up to uh, recently. So you are the founder of Layers Studio, software and web design agency based in the UK. Um, before we dig into the different solutions you provide, can you tell us a bit more about your company? What, what's your story?
4: <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I founded Layers in January 2016. Um, We're based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which is in the northeast of England, Um, and we basically founded the company because I'd kind of had some experience in different agencies and um, different roles within design and digital. I wanted to really start something where we combine different skill sets uh, of people from a very early stage in the project, so we kind of look at design as a sort of multi layered approach, hence the name, um, where we introduce people from, you know, development, um, marketing, um, SEO, uh, everything right through to kind of even, um, sort of sales. Um, and we want to make sure that we're designing solutions that work and provide real value and not just pretty pictures, although we do like to think what we do looks really good. Um.
1: So it's a pretty holistic approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: Um, yeah, and we're, um, we're we're a team of um, five, I would like full-time, and we have a, a design intern as well, um, and we're quite open about collaboration, so um, we work with different companies of similar size to us in things like everything from sort of um, 3D development, specific sort of native app stuff, um, illustrators, uh, copywriters, and we kind of bring in as and when we need on specific projects to make sure that there's someone with a real expertise for everything that needs to be covered so that's kind of something we're quite proud of as well with within our kind of extended community
1: that's super interesting and so um if i understood right from a previous conversation you started with web design and now mm. you start developing more software and web apps um can you tell us uh can you tell me a bit more about the products and in particular like for example in which sector uh, you are active in
4: yeah so we started out kind of my background had been more design focused so a lot of it was branding through the kind of um, marketing websites and sales sales driven websites um, and that's kind of where we started but we wanted to push towards uh, more robust web software Um, so we've created platforms like uh, control hub um, which was or is um, a, a sort of web software for Risk management, project management. Um, it's like an enterprise management system, basically for the gas and utilities industry, uh, and that's doing really well now. It's a kind of that's one of our clients. Uh, and beyond that, we've also built things like Study Atlas, which is um, web software for international students to uh, search, compare, and apply right the way through to enrollment um, with universities here in the UK, uh, and. Although those are kind of two sectors, I guess very different education and construction utilities. We've we've got other clients, um, in sort of all sorts of sectors. Really, it was a kind of an aim of the business is to kind of be the be the ideas and solution creators as opposed to kind of like a specialist in one specific market. Um, so we've got clients in sort of hospitality and um, uh, the um drinks and food industry as well
1: Mm -hmm. and so well i guess it's important to keep a an open mind and uh, and bring a different perspective uh, when you when you build your solutions but and also um that's important especially in terms of uh say challenges we're facing at the moment Uh, for example the the another challenge so the coronavirus pandemic Mm as uh, being in a digital industry, uh, that's probably one the industry that will come out uh, strong uh, of this uh, of this uh, crisis. Um, but many businesses were not ready for it. And there's also on the policy side, we see that uh, that uh, there are some limits uh, to to what can be done, and things need to change. Um, did you see? Uh, how did that create a shift in, in, in your work on a daily basis? Like, did you see the, the demand uh, change, different types of products being asked? Um, how did that impact uh, Layer Studio?
4: Um, so very much like Brexit, um, we, we were hit with the whole, all, our pipeline basically got put on hold again. Um, and I, I think everybody probably um, experienced that. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, it was quite interesting with the the sort of clients that we've discussed from like hong kong where actually they they've been dealing with covid a lot longer than we had so they're they're a different stage Um, so there was some interesting things to learn from from that for us um but i think we'd kind of learned a little bit from from the actual the this when this happened with brexit and that really there's not a lot you can you can do you've just got to kind of double down on you know networking again and stick at it and and, you know keep our head down on the work that we had in and make sure we delivered good projects there but stayed in touch with all of our existing clients you know there's there's clients that we've kind of continued to work with through covid with helping them to put things in place to improve their processes you know like a lot of it can be very simple things but just comms related stuff between clients like um ticket and systems and um moving whatever they can online so that they can actually keep running as as they were before um but our business we we we're very digitally focused anyways so we were kind of prepared from an actual operations and practical point of view like we already had flexible working so if you wanted to work from home at any time you could so we're already set up to make sure that you know our projects are managed sort of digitally um we have sort of software in place to, you know, continue doing our work from home, um, but the bigger impact I think that we're seeing a little bit sort of further into lockdown is more the social side, and you just miss, like, we're a tight team and, and we're we're not a, we're not a big company, so you kind of miss that camaraderie and the, um, the collaborative element that I mentioned before, which is quite a big part of, of, of the company, is although you can deliver it, um, digitally, it just doesn't you miss out on a lot of the social aspects of that um, and I think it can take its toll after a while of you kind of being in your house um, some people <laughs> by themselves it's not it's not great so
1: yeah no for sure that's why you see the limit of the of digital you still need yeah. the, the 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 human side um, I think it's uh, extremely important uh, for sure I think that's what basically everybody's been struggling with it's uh, true to it's the lack of uh, of social contact but um or maybe from, for some not, but <laughs> for yeah. the majority, I would say. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a few
4: people who are, who are really happy that they get yeah, to stay exactly. in all day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, talking about the future, are there any uh, trends or areas, for example, you see where, where there, there are developments or worth in, uh, investing into or mm. uh, areas look you're looking into?
4: Um, Well, we're actually um, moving to create our first product, as in, um, for for Layers itself. So it's a kind of a slight pivot where we're looking to uh, develop an app in the um, education and training sector. Um, And we're quite, we're really excited about that. So it's came off the back of some research we were doing for another client where we've kind of gone down a rabbit hole, if you like, um, that we found. What we think is a, a real need um, for digital, for digital platform software to kind of manage a process that's very manual at the moment, um, and we're really excited to to develop that. Um, so beyond sort of sort of that pivot in trying to kind of introduce you know an, an asset to our business that isn't just sort of client work for other people. Um, what I am hopeful for is kind of when we've been doing the export attempts and we've been you know networking outside of the area some some businesses get a bit hung up about the barrier of kind of how far away you are and i think people who had that stigma around working digitally and remotely and things like that clearly they've kind of been forced into giving it a better goal if you like mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are realizing just how much can be done in um, that you know international barriers aren't really barriers quite an interesting it's an interesting um period to move into if 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 the vast majority of businesses are more than happy to work with a remote in their their eyes a remote company and that should make it a lot easier for us to kind of get past the final hurdle which is with a client which is often that kind of you know why work with someone sort of further away if we could work with somebody much closer um and actually there's not a lot of difference if we're kind of working remotely predominantly uh, as a first choice due to COVID anyways and hopefully Mm -hmm. I think people just sort of see the benefits and choose to work with the people they like to work with Um, and we're quite you know we're friendly people so (laughs) people tend to like to work with us.
1: Uh, For sure I think that this pandemic for sure uh, changed the the mindset about Tools that we use, and uh, and uh, also this notion of borders that doesn't really exist anymore, and I think that's great. And it also forces everybody to to, to adapt to the situation. I think in, in education, especially, it's crucial when we see that many countries, uh, in, in many areas, completely struggle because uh, did not have the tools in place, just uh, also lack of budget most of the time. But um, mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's great to see that uh, there are developments uh, in the in this area. Um. So yeah, maybe to to wrap up, uh, looking back, is there something you can say about Leia Studio, about yourself that you're the most proud of uh, today? Um,
4: That we're still here, Brexit and pandemic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, I think, I mean, joke, I I say that kind of flippantly as a joke, but I think a lot of the time, I think if you can, we're we're a passionate bunch of people who are really kind of proud of the work that they do, generally speaking, and I think, um, you know, if you can get surround yourself with the right people, and you stick to your guns and your principles, um, you know, eventually it will it will pay off. So I think we're quite proud of that. There's been a lot of times, and we've tried it either way. where We've tried to do, you know, quick and quick and cheap work, and we'll just do more of it, and that doesn't that doesn't work. Um, not just from a business point of view, but just from a fulfillment point of view. Um, so I'm quite proud that we've managed to stick to our principles and develop an ethos that I, I hope to see us grow into uh, um, a larger company that can scale and start to introduce these products that we're working on internally so yeah we're really looking forward to that
1: yeah and uh, we're really happy to have you in the association and um, well thank you very much for talking about uh, your, your company i think it's interesting too for everybody to see how uh, to adapt as you mentioned to the other side challenges which are pretty big ones um and uh, yes, hopefully uh, we'll talk again uh, on uh, on our podcast. Well, so thank you.
4: Thanks very much. Thank you, Morgan.
1: <laughs> Bye.
4: Bye.
0: And now it is time for random identifier. Um, I'll kick it off since this is our first random identifier for Global Tech Swamp. Very excited to hear what you guys are obsessed with. Um, But I am going to talk about the new Bon Iver single. He's released like a couple singles over like sort of this quarantine period. Um, This one. So I have no idea how one would say this. So I'm just going to say the letters, which is (laughs) A-U-A-T-C. He just released it on August 5th. um, And it has so like. I feel like one of the things that has to be said about this is that Bruce Springsteen like is a like he he provides backup vocals on the song like Bruce Springsteen is singing backup for Boney Bear that feels like a big deal to me but also Jenny Lewis who I'm a little bit obsessed with um, someone from Wyoke. Um, and the song is great it's so good um, this is also coming off the heels of the song that Bon Iver also did with Taylor Swift on Folklore, which is also a great song. I was gonna ask about your opinion on that. <laughs> I thought the song was really great. Okay. I um, it's so I, I this is a, this is an interesting question that you've asked me because <laughs> I think that Taylor Swift is an incredible songwriter. Like okay. full stop. Me too. Yeah, I think like you cannot deny how great of a songwriter she is. My my holdup with Taylor Swift is that, like, I don't actually enjoy listening to her singing, which is why I've never, like, been, like, a huge Taylor Swift fan. Mm-hmm. But, like, she writes great songs. Like, I think that if you, like, don't agree that, like, You Belong With Me is a bop, then you just, like, have been a- under a rock for the last 30 years. Because, like, that song is so good um the song right and i the the sh- her lyrics are like always interesting she writes really great stories through her songs like totally think she's a great songwriter mm-hmm. i just don't necessarily always like listening to her sing her songs
1: yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah. yeah that's exactly the same feeling i have i i, I uh, yeah 100 agree yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> i
2: didn't mean to derail this <laughs>
0: no <over. laughs> no i liked it. it 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 i'm hey glad we're on the same page um well, OK, so, Morgan, how about you? What is your random identifier?
1: So for me, I just noticed that this week there's a really cool series that, uh, that I really like um, that's called Borgen that just it's an old one, actually, uh, that just arrived on Netflix, they decided to publish it again on Netflix. So it's um, for those who don't know it. I don't know if you guys, uh, well, I've heard it or watched it in the past, but it's a um, It's a a story about a Danish uh, series, a story about a Danish politician that becomes the first female prime minister uh, in Denmark and it's all the the tricks of politics and, yes. and so on. And it's actually a really good political drama. And um, so, yeah, I was really excited when I saw it uh, on uh, on Netflix for the first time. And I was like sharing it with everybody, saying, so you have to watch that. And yeah. I think in the US, it's, uh, it comes out on September 1st, if I'm not m- mistaken, or maybe it's already out. Yeah, but, uh, I, I love a yeah. good
0: political drama, so I would definitely watch that. Me too, I'll have yeah, to check it, it out.
1: I really highly recommend it. Well, you have to be a bit of a political geek, but it's a it's a it's a nice story. So. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I also love sort of watching things that are like pro women in government because mm-hmm. I feel like there aren't enough shows that feature them prominently. So like 10 out of 10 would watch.
1: <laughs> yeah. And apparently fun fact also is that it's um, it's based on. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Vestages, uh the commissioner uh for um for competition um oh, in the yeah. eu so um it's uh, even though she never became prime minister of denmark but the story yeah. is based on, so like yeah. yeah like
0: loosely based exactly. on her cool that's awesome okay noted um that's a good one so in the u.s if you want to watch it probably september is when we're expecting it on netflix
2: i
1: think um yeah need to double check
2: yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right, Anna, what do you have for us? Um, so mine is based on like multiple things. A that we're living in a pandemic, <laughs> and the other one is that it's painfully hot here in DC. Yeah. So I've been trying to have some fun with face masks to make wearing them more enjoyable for myself. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, tricking myself into liking wearing a face mask. Right. Um, making them been... a part
0: of your fashion. Exactly. So that's what I've
2: <laughs> been trying to do. Like have fun with patterns and colours, matching them with my outfits. Um, My mom has sent me some great homemade ones. I've bought some on Etsy. And I was browsing this morning for more face masks. And I came across this news article that an Israeli jeweler created a gold and diamond encrusted mask that costs $1.5 million and it weighs over half a pound. Half a pound. (laughs) Yes. And someone actually bought this and is now wearing 3,600 diamonds on their face and... Yeah, this is I mean, this is more of a random news item, but I've just been thinking about this a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um
0: hard not to think about.
1: Right. Yeah, but and how does it work? Like you have to put some extra tape to make it hold right. on your on your face, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I'm not your sure. Ears. <laughs> you definitely have there's no way that it can just go over your ears because then like your ears are going to be exhausted. My like you've got to be able to fasten hurt with it. like
2: the regular elastic. Just like a regular so, like, elastic. I can't like I don't know.
0: Yeah. And then so I assume there's some sort of like fabric behind the diamonds and gold.
2: There must be. There must be. I don't think they specified really, but there must absolutely be something other than diamonds. And maybe it's
0: harder (laughs) to breathe in it. But I would imagine that's the biggest
1: concern. Imagine also the diamonds becoming, I don't know, disgusting with your breath all the time. Oh, good (laughs) point. doesn't feel very hygienic yeah. No? yeah or like what if one falls out
0: and then you just have like this diamond a that's like fallen into the like onto the street but then like B, there's just like this awkward yeah. like space where a diamond used to be
2: <laughs> but, yeah. but like all this uh, to say i'm excited for my new face mask to come in the mail <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i it'll be fun to see like what happens with like fashion going forward like if there's going to be just like crazy mask fashion like even that you see on runways and stuff I'm very curious I feel like we've now started to see like designers try to figure out what their role in Mm -hmm. the mask world is going to be and I I'm both like
2: I'm very excited but also very nervous hottest accessory of 2020
0: yeah All right, well, we have reached the end of Tech Swamp. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this EU edition. If you want further information, don't hesitate to go to our website and our podcast page, where we'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the
1: good stuff. And as usual, you can subscribe on the Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to be updated on all our latest podcasts. And uh, if you want to follow us on a daily basis, you can follow us on Twitter at EU App Makers.
0: Thanks for listening. Everyone say bye. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.